My guest this week on the show is Dr. Alessandra Wall. Alessandra is the founder of Noteworthy, based in San Diego, in California. And Noteworthy helps coach executive women to achieve high-level impact and influence. And what's interesting is that Alessandra began her career as an academic. She has a doctorate in psychology, but realized actually that she got a lot of joy from helping people through training and coaching. And this week, we're going to talk about the vision that she has for her business, how it came about, the kinds of programs that she offers, how they're structured, and uh, how they're packaged, and also about the composition of her team. Fascinating episode. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. My name is Mark. I'm the host of the show, and it's wonderful to have you back again this week. This is all about the business of you making money from your programs, your workshops, your courses, your keynotes, your experience, and how you've packaged those into products and services that you sell. And if you're making a living from what you know and what you've done and how you can show others to do what they need to do, then this is the show for you. And I'm a self-employed trainer. I'm a coach and a published author, and I've made all the mistakes that you can read about. And uh, those are the reason that the show exists, is to help you wherever you are on this wonderful journey, helping people with your experience. And most weeks, not every week, but most weeks, we have a guest on the show. Sometimes it's just you and I, and sometimes it's a guest. And this week, my guest is Dr. Alessandra Wall. Now, if you've not yet subscribed, now is the chance to click on follow or subscribe to be notified of wonderful episodes of the show as they come out. It costs absolutely nothing and takes only a couple of seconds. Alessandra, welcome to the show. Ah, Thank you for having me. You're today in San Diego in California. I am. Lucky you. Lucky me for the most part, yes. Your company is called Noteworthy. And um, I'm curious about, um, first of all, what got you into learning and development? Because you define yourself as a coach to executive women to help achieve high-level impact and influence. Let's go back to your beginnings and uh, what got you into training, coaching, and helping people with this kind of service. Absolutely. Well, my beginnings are very different. Well, not very. They're somewhat different from what I do now. I started my life as a clinical psychologist. So, and I very actually specifically chose in America to become a psychologist. You have to get a doctorate of some kind. You cannot call yourself a psychologist without a doctorate of some kind. There are two forms of doctorates, PhDs and PsyDs. And the PhD historically, when I was studying, was the one that would allow you to teach at the university level. So initially, the thought was, I will practice clinically, and at some point in time, I will teach at the university level. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, there came a point in my career where I didn't love being a therapist. And after going through graduate school, I had no desire to be a university professor. It's a very political, plus I don't enjoy doing research, although I do enjoy the fruits of other people's research. 
And Things like books and so on, yeah. Books, the, the, I love neuropsychology, and I wish somebody had taught it to me properly, talking about training and poor training. It was mm. never taught to me in a way that was relevant or applicable. And so, thank goodness for people who write about neuropsychology and, and direct that, that research and that insight to lay people, because suddenly it opens up this incredible world of knowledge that can then be shared and used to help people make change. Mm. Um, and so I, like many people, chose a second career, which initially was life coaching, and then realized that what I really loved doing in the work I was, uh, in the coaching that I was doing, was working with women who were, fell out of love with their careers entirely. And thought there's a way of addressing this problem before they experience what we would now call burnout, which at the time wasn't called burnout. Mm -hmm. And before they are so fed up that they don't just leave their companies, they, they, they leave their fields entirely. And in that space, there's a combination of things one can do. There's active coaching, teaching people skills, and that is training in and of itself. But then there's the one-to-many aspect of it, which is to be able to go into an organization or be able to teach a set of skills and, and in an applicable manner to a larger group of people and leave them equipped to take action immediately after. And I love that. I love teaching. I love training people as long as it leads to action. And what was the step then that convinced you to, to start Noteworthy? I, I can see from your background that you've got um, experience in a range of committees, but what prompted you to say, right, I'm going to invent this thing called Noteworthy. It's going to serve this audience. I know the kinds of programs I'm going to offer and who needs those programs. Oh my goodness. I wish it had been as simple as the way you describe it. Uh, first and foremost, as I said, I experienced what I'd like to think of as a third life crisis or quarter life, not quite midlife when I when I got it. So that was, you know, going into trying to figure out how to renew myself was a big piece of it. But the reason I created Noteworthy, again, was twofold. Well, threefold, really. First of all, the life coaching business I built was a complete failure. And I love sharing that story because people people share share stories of success all the time. I was running my therapy practice, raising two children who were uh, in preschool, trying to build a coaching practice, which was at the time I thought a life coaching practice, following all the advice of all the people out there, exhausting myself, and created a failing business that I plowed hundreds of hours into over a four and a half year period. And I burnt myself out. And I sat down and had to make a decision. Do I, I knew I didn't want to be a therapist for the rest of my career. So do I try to leverage my skill set into a corporate career or do I give this another try? And I spoke to a few people who knew me well, and the advice was give it two years. Try again two years. And so I sat down. And I thought about a few things. First of all, who were the women, who were the folks I most enjoyed working with? What were the issues that they came to me for? And among those issues, which were the ones that were 
most fulfilling to me and the ones where I could provide the greatest amount of help or benefit. And when we narrowed that, it came down to, again, professional women who were trying to redefine what they wanted to do with their careers, oftentimes who felt uh, undervalued, overwhelmed, uh, under-recompensed, you know, underpaid. And I had to try to understand that because I'd worked for myself for so long in my career that although I knew the data, right, I knew what the research said about women, I didn't get it. At a visceral level, I didn't get it until I started really diving into what these women's experiences were. And noteworthy, noteworthy is the fruit of me getting it and realizing that it is still extremely difficult for women to succeed in the workplace at a high level, that oftentimes what they need to sacrifice in order to succeed is greater than you know the what they're getting out of that work and that everybody loses everyone does the women lose the companies lose their spouses lose their children lose because you have a part of the population that's just exhausted and can't can't produce can't earn in the same ways um so noteworthy was really built out of that and then Again, looking at my background as a psychologist and, and my area of specialty, which for years was anxiety um, anxiety and perfectionism, and figuring out what is there to leverage in that space that can really serve these women and serve the companies they work for. And that's how Noteworthy came about. Tell me about the the composition, because it's not just you. I mean, you have um, employees, you have a, a company, It's uh, you're the front end of it, if you will. Mm-hmm. What is its structure? It's a small, first of all, right now it's a small company. So mm-hmm. again, I bootstrapped for many, many years. It was just me. Mm-hmm. At this point, we have so the way the way noteworthy works right now is in terms of training and delivery, I am the primary person for external. So if I'm getting a contract with an with a with an organization, with a corporation, I'm the one going in. Internally, our clients have um my clients both get a combination of individual coaching, a set of resources and trainings that I've created, right? And on top of that, we have a community. And within the community, there are certain features. We have peer advisory groups, and we have a mindfulness and meditation, um, a mindfulness and mindset, excuse me, coach who comes in and who will provide trainings monthly for, for our our executives. The idea being, again, that so much of success is not just about developing a certain set of skills, but being in the right state of mind. And I actually did not want to reproduce what I did as a psychologist. I didn't want to come in. And um, so she is our, she's our program manager right now. And then the goal with the company, what we're hoping to do this year, and unfortunately, due to the economy due to the industries I work in, finance and, and tech, um, being hit the way they have been this year. The, the, the goal is to slowly train a several other coaches in our methodologies and then to make sure that those coaches also have skill sets that are complementary to mine. 
so that when we bring in clients or when we go and offer trainings to organizations, we're not just duplicating my skill set, but we're saying, I, my area of specialty is this. This is what I'm really good at. This person knows the noteworthy methodology and the training and the curriculum, but their area of specialty is X and adding on. And how many programs do you have? You, you referred to your methodology. How many programs do you have that you, you actively market and separate so they're distinct programs that your audience needs? Within Noteworthy, we have two main programs. We four, so four are for my my coaching clients who sometimes come in and come in individually. Other times they're brought in by their companies. We have two main coaching programs. Externally, oh, I would have to count. Um, one, two. We have two big ones right now that are disseminated through a third party. Uh, one is basically a, a training on soft skills for women in STEM. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is a training on male allyship for leaders. And then behind that, over the years, I have worked with a number of different organizations who again, third-party organizations, and probably have five other trainings based on that and full curriculums developed in order to meet the needs of their clients, which tend to overlap with my clients. What were the challenges, if any, of identifying exactly what the market needs and then producing programs that meet that need for a paid program? There, there were two big challenges. I, there's a difference between what the market needs and what the market thinks it needs, right? So being able to identify what the market actually needs requires really understanding what the problem is. And I think, I know, I was going to say I think, but I know. As humans, our tendency is to want to kind of jump in and say, I have this area of expertise. I have this knowledge. I see this thing and wanting to just deliver whatever it is. Or you tell me you want a course on uh, soft skills for women in STEM. I'm going to deliver that instead of really understanding what issue is 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 needed, what issues need to be addressed at any point in time, and delivering a program that that responds to those. So that was that was my first kind of big issue. The other one, and this is from coming from a, an academic background, is understanding that um, the tendency again, especially in academia is to over-deliver on content. And it was very, very difficult to get to a point where maybe I thought that in order to teach a skill or to provide a training and meet an objective, there were 50 learning points that needed to be delivered. And over time, realizing I can really only teach three because 50 is too much. Nobody's going to pay attention. And, and, And really being able to figure out which three were the most important, but also having the confidence to know that you are giving your clients what they need, even if you're not packing a training with a ridiculous amount of data, information, worksheets, and 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 programs. That's so true because many people whom I've interviewed have said when they first began, there there is this voice in the head which says, I need to give them everything, videos and uh, some workbook and I've got some pre-work and I've got some stuff to fill in and to download and watch and all that stuff. But it's not necessarily what people need or are willing to pay for. Yes. And 
I think that sometimes the problem is the client doesn't realize that. So they think that they want that. The program that is packed with tons of information, when in reality, doing that will dilute the learning experience and will tend to turn off your audience. One of the one of the lines I often share with prospective and existing clients is, I'm not in the business of doing a knowledge dump. I have no interest in just providing data or facts or even giving people that initial jolt of dopamine that comes with giving them insights and aha moments. That's not why I'm in the business of coaching. It certainly was not why I chose to be a psychologist. My goal is to affect change to get people to move into action. So I am constantly, when I'm designing programs, thinking about what is it that I want the person to do, the learner to do at the end of the training? Mm -hmm. And what are, in order, what's the skill set that needs to be acquired? What's the knowledge that's associated with that skill set in order for the learner to get this? And I found that the more I simplified my trainings, the better I felt, right? I ended programs seeing that people weren't tired, weren't exhausted, and also that people were excited. Better yet is I could check back in with learners after a period of time and they took action. And, and to me, that's I know there are plenty of folks who just go out there and they deliver and whatever, you can get a paycheck and, and you'll be brought back um, because you have the right name or the right connections, but I want more. I want change. Interesting, because again, there's that temptation to give everything, but it sounds as if if you give enough just to get people to take action and get results, they'll come back for more of the other stuff that you could have been tempted to include in the first place. Yeah, and not everything's important. I mean, mm. I, there's that notion of curating. You have to curate the content that you're presenting to people. You have to make sure that the way you're presenting content is fitting to not just their needs, but their, their energy levels, their markets, mm. their brain span. I have learned uh, over time to really also simplify how I present information. I have gained the confidence, I would say, to not have to show up as Dr. Wall, you know, to use my, my, one of my pieces of advice for the women I work with is, Anytime you talk to somebody, have the courtesy of talking to them as though they're a very intelligent 10 or 12-year-old because everybody's tired. Everybody is overwhelmed with data and information. And if you have a very intelligent 10 or 12-year-old in front of you, they will call you out if you talk down to them. So it's not about talking down or dumbing information. It's about making sure that the words you use are clear. They're easy to understand, even if you're jet lagged. Um, and that, and that anybody can, can get this and it's forcing you as the person imparting information to know what it is you're actually talking about. Excellent advice. Yes. Excellent advice. I'm curious about how you market. We've mentioned the word market, uh, several times. How do you market yourself and noteworthy? The, my biggest, biggest, um, um, budget in terms of time and money in marketing goes to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And the number one way I market myself is by creating content on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So when I say content, oftentimes I'm, I'm referring very specifically to posts that address the major pain points of the clientele I'm working with. 
address their major desires and talk about how we bridge the gap from one to the other. I've also recently started creating video. Mm-hmm. When I ran the business, the one that burnt me out, the life coaching business, and I said I was doing all the things. This is 2014, 2015. It was the beginning of the explosion of podcasting and Instagram and you know, Facebook was still huge and I was creating so and blogging. Blogging was so big. And I was creating blog posts and videos, and I had a podcast of my own and micro videos, and it was exhausting. So getting back to video was a big deal. We just started this year. Mm -hmm. I produce maybe a video a week. Right now we're repurposing videos. but, But that, for me, that is where the major expenditure goes out. The second piece of marketing that we've done, maybe marketing is the wrong word, but the the second massive driver for business for me has been social capital. Taking the time to meet people, to talk to people, to understand what's going on. In my line of business, this is both true with the individual, so working with women, and of course, it's very true for most of us when we work with large organizations. The sales cycle is very long. It can take six to 18 months. Women are not used to spending money on themselves. They're very, they're, and, and the women I work with individually, for example, make anywhere from 250 to all the way up to a million dollars. And it doesn't really matter where they are on that spectrum. They all struggle with paying the same amounts. But companies too, companies I just spoke with a company recently who wants a training for for their women. And on the phone, what they said is, I said, what's your, what's your time frame on this? They said, ASAP, as soon as possible. That was two weeks ago. I'm still waiting for information from them to be able to create a program. I'm like, okay, that's great. I'm so glad we're on the same page. I need I have these four questions that need to be answered. This will allow me to create a program for you. And we're still waiting. So these, these, these. It takes a very long time to build the relationships, but investing in, in those relationships, getting to know people, this person who's hiring me for this training, I met in 2019. We've been talking back and forth in 2019. It is now 2023. And it's this year that they contacted me and said, hey, we really need help creating a program for our women. Would you, can we, can we talk? So that's in terms of marketing. I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about that as marketing, but investing time and energy in building social capital and building relationships is a huge piece of what I do. Then the last thing we did recently, which I see as marketing, is I actually hired a head of corporate partnership. So another, she's actually a former client of mine. Um, So she understands very, very well what we do. And she's taking the time to kind of look at the market, to compare what we're offering to what other outfits are offering, to get a really good understanding of our programs and our trainings, and then to be to go out and do outreach with organizations so that they can understand how we can fill their needs. Head of corporate partnership. Interesting. Head of corporate partnership. So this literally yeah. is the person who gets you in the door of... of um corporations, 
businesses that want you in front of their people? Yes, because you have to know what you're good at. And what I am good at, other than the work I do, is building relationships at the individual level. But I have no background in the corporate world in terms of operating in a large corporation. So that whole process of connecting with somebody and understanding who the lead decision maker is, I'm not good at that. And I could learn it. All the time I spend learning that is time I'm not doing something else. Investing in the right kind of support to get you where you need to go, knowing Mm -hmm. what your strengths are, leaning into those strengths, owning that you don't need to be good at everything to be successful. Those are all skills that A, have worked very well for me in my business. And by the way, they're the exact same skills I teach the women I work with. I have to ask you then, because this has just got my my mind whirring away. What did you look for when you thought of the notion of a head of corporate partnerships? How do you know you're the right person to do the outreach? It sounds a bit like to me, like someone who's a booker in the classic sense, you know, go book training for me. Here's my brand, go out and book clients. But head of corporate partnerships sounds like you have a distinct need for someone who's got insight into how organizations buy training from people like you and me. Yes. So this is not a salesperson. This person's background actually is also as a clinical psychologist initially. Mm -hmm. They've worked in very large institutions. Uh, More recently, they worked for a a company that, that provided uh, wellness and mental health training at the corporate level, and they were doing this work. So we we happen to be talking about it in the context of of just doing a check in a year after we ended coaching. And you know, on some level, part of me would thinks about the potential value of of hiring a dedicated sales team, right? Because that's what you were talking about initially. But this is different. I was looking for somebody who. Uh, A, had the background, right? Who did understand how large corporations work, who could understand how to reframe some of the concepts that I, at this point in my career, know how to discuss with the individuals in terms that resonate at the corporate level. And I don't necessarily have that language or it's not natural to me. I have to really stop and think about it. I was looking for somebody who had the time and I had to have somebody who I thought represented my brand and understood what we did and wasn't just you know punching a timesheet and i knew this was the case again because i've worked with her for i've worked with her before she knows what we do she knows what impact we can make so i am confident that when she goes into organizations it's more than simply being able to list out what we do or read a script and as far as i know she has no script but rather it's an ability to connect her own experience as a client of mine, as a former client of mine, as somebody who's worked in large organizations, as somebody who's done this work for other organizations to our programs to give a much richer description of how we can meet a need and also know when we, we can't meet that need. So we're not working with clients who are not a good fit for us. That's fascinating. I'd never heard, heard of it uh, expressed that way, head of corporate partnerships. And it, it also sounds quite, um, well, quite impressive as a title rather than saying, you know, uh, marketing assistant. It sounds like you're very specific about the kinds of conversations you want that person to have on your behalf, not just go out and get me a, a meeting, but get me someone who actually understands what we do, needs what we do, mm-hmm. and, and can see the value in what we do. 
Yes, because I don't for, I don't see her as a head of marketing. Like, mm. That is not it's not it's not the vision I have. And and every time we bring people into noteworthy, the goal is to evaluate the individual with the hope of creating a long-term relationship. I'm going to be in trouble as my company grows if I don't walk the talk. And I talk a lot about how companies should treat their employees, about the importance of creating engagement, about the ways to create engagement. So very important to me as I bring people in and when I was when I was bringing in Dr. Mendoza to do this work, to have a good understanding of what did she want to do? What were her strengths? Why was this important to her? And to make sure she understood what I needed and wanted out of this and, and that we could come to an agreement about what this would look like. And then based on that, come up with what the right title would be. Because all the, all the title is ultimately is an external expression of what somebody's authority and function is. Mm-hmm. Right? So that idea of being the head explains her authority. Like she is, she's the lead person doing this. And we are looking for partnerships. I'm not, it's, as you know, it's exhausting to build a book of business. Uh, to as never as, ends. To, no. To, to you know. Yeah. To eat only what you kill, and, and I would rather create long-term relationships, even if it takes a little longer, um, than constantly be looking for something new. I'm not a volume business. And we'll end on some question I want to ask, having listened to the, the thoughtfulness you put into building your business. What is the out uh, for you? What is the exit? When do you know you've reached what you want to achieve and uh, it's time now to sell it on or to wind it up? What, what is that for you? Have you been talking with my husband? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He asked me that exact question the other day, but we're very okay. different individuals. My husband mm-hmm. uh, works because he has to. And the second he, that man can retire, he is out. And I, um, I define myself in part. I'm not only what I do, but what I do is a huge part of who I am. So he asked me that question, what's the out? And if I struggle to see myself, I struggle to see myself ever retiring, although I'm sure there will come a point where I will not want to work. My goal if it's okay for me to answer it this way, mm-hmm. would get to a point where noteworthy is a household name. When organizations or when women in executive leadership are looking for somebody to help them level up that leadership. For organizations, it's retain and properly leverage the talent of the women they have, which in my opinion, drives recruiting. But you have to retain. That noteworthy is where people come. My goal is eventually to have a number of coaches. And part of the reason, and, and other trainers with me, and part of the reason why I don't have that yet is I want to pay people very well. And, and I don't want to bring somebody on to pay them not enough. And with that in mind, I guess I would sell when I'm tired of working, but I would step back and have just a few clients and be very picky about my work that that's the ultimate goal is to sit back and go i i will just have two or three clients they are my choice 
That's all I have. And I get to work on the strategic vision because one of the things I discovered that I never expected, and I discovered this even as a psychologist, is I love working on my business. I never thought I did. If you'd asked me, do you see yourself as a businesswoman, especially as a 20-year-old, I would have said no. But I love working on my business. I love thinking about strategically, where are we heading? What are we building? What's the next thing? Um, it's more fun to think about when, when you have the space to do to do that thinking and, and you have the right team, which I definitely want and need uh, to operate on that vision and, and make it a reality. So it sounds like it's not going to be an out as much as a, a building a business that um, has the people in it that who recognize what your vision is and the meaning it has for you, mm-hmm. not just for your clients. And, uh, and um, for many people, I think who are listening, it's not a case of, packing up and saying that's me done because for many of us it's uh it's part of who we are right it's uh it's more than just it's a business it has needs it's something which um has to be sustained invested in and maybe at some point sold but there is still a part of us in that and we we recognize um how how much it means to us and so I think it's true for many people who've built a brand. It's hard to let go. It out may not be goodbye, but it might be just, again, as you alluded to, holding a couple of clients and enjoying the work. But it sounds as if it's a distinct vision that you have for Noteworthy as a part from yeah. Alessandra. It's, um, it's personal. personal. What I do is personal. When, when my clients succeed, it's personal. And if they don't succeed, it's personal. Right? So it's very, very hard for me to imagine stepping away. Then again, mm-hmm. there was a point where I didn't think of stepping away from my clinical practice. And when I did, it was because I was done. It did not bring joy. And I could do it. I mean, in America, at least right now, the need for therapists is so high. I could be packed full and have a waiting list, which I never did as a, as a therapist. I refused to have a waiting list. I would always if somebody was in need, I would say, do not sit around and wait, go find somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was miserable walking into work. That would make me sell. If I was miserable walking into work, I would start, I would go talk to my accountant, value the business and, and, and sell the business. That day may come. You never know. It might. And you know what? If it does, I'll probably just find something else to do that will be a derivative of what I've done and what I've learned here. Alessandra, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today, and thank you for being my guest on the show. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, The two best places to find out more about me are LinkedIn. That's probably where I share the most up-to-date information. Uh, And my handle is Dr. Dr. Alessandra, one L, two S as well. And our website, which is noteworthyinc.co. I will, of course, include all links on your episode page over at trainingbusiness.com. Thank you so much, Mark. It has been a thought-provoking conversation this morning. My sincere thanks to Dr. Alessandra Wall for being my guest today on the show. And thanks to you for listening to this week's episode. If you've not yet subscribed, now is your chance to click on follow or subscribe to be notified of great episodes as they come out. My team, Sam, Joe, James, Turul, Christina, Ignasi, and I, of course, appreciate your loyalty. And we'd love to know that you'll come back next week. If in the interim, you have any questions or suggestions for 
other episodes or guests, feel free to email me personally, mark at trainingbusiness.com. Until then, look after yourself. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.